we're back with the tech policy grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Tech Policy Grind. On this week's episode, we have another fellow highlight, this time Mary Bagdasarian, our fellow highlight series host, chats with Dylan Brown Bramble, who is a Class 4 Foundry Fellow and also an associate at a large law firm in New York City. He is our hackathon king, so to speak, and has been a great champion of a lot of Foundry efforts. So hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll get into it. Hi, Dylan, and welcome to Tech Policy Grind. How are you today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here and chatting with you. Awesome. I'm super uh, excited to hear your story, and without further ado, tell us, what motivated you to have a career in tech law and policy? Yeah, so I think it was kind of a long journey. I feel like if you asked me four years ago, I probably wouldn't say I'm doing what I'm doing. I did know that technology was something I was really interested in. Um, So when I graduated from undergrad and I started at Georgetown, I saw that Georgetown had um, the Tech Institute and the Tech Law Scholars Program. And I was like, this is my opportunity. I really want to explore this area. Um, I knew that when I went into the law, I wanted to be in an area that was really dynamic. And I think technology, of course, like every day, something new is happening, something new is being invented. And I didn't want to be in one of those still respectable, but more traditional areas of law where like nothing has really changed in 15 years. I was really attracted to the idea that I could start my career and like this new technology like you know ai is becoming popular now and all this stuff is happening around ai and like i i was a lawyer when that started new things are happening new laws are being passed and i can be engaged in it at the same time for the first time as people who have been lawyers for 20 years i feel like some more traditional areas of practice you don't get those opportunities so i was really excited to pick something where i could jump in and then like you know a couple years and i can say i'm an expert in something and people would believe me that i have expertise yeah, definitely technology is a space that changes every day. It's like the beauty and the challenge of this field. Um, so uh, what issues do you focus on? What do you do day to day in your job? Right. So I work at a big law firm and I do privacy and cybersecurity work. So um, a big part of it is working with like mergers and acquisitions and doing diligence on companies, learning, digging in on all their privacy and cyber issues. And then there's a lot of independent counseling work. So just helping companies be in compliance with any privacy or cybersecurity laws. Um, For anyone who's paying attention, they probably have the same struggle that I have, that every six minutes, a new state has passed the law and there's something new to learn. So I bet I think that that's the very excitement I was getting at with my previous answer, that it's like this law, I was a lawyer for two years when this law got passed. And then I was a lawyer for two and a half years when the next 15 laws got passed. So it can be stressful to keep up and something I'm still as like a fairly, I've I've been a lawyer for almost two years now as a fairly new, well, I guess a new lawyer, as a baby lawyer, um, still learning the skill of like keeping up with the stuff. But it's really exciting that I get to be in a field where new things are happening every day 
And, you know, I work with partners who have been doing it for 15 years. And, but like both of us saw the news release that this law passed at the same time. And both of us have the same amount of experience with it. So I, I really find that exciting. And then the work I, I really, um, I think privacy and privacy and cybersecurity are just entering our daily discussions more and entering the public consciousness more and getting to see how like different types of companies, sometimes types of companies that like, I didn't even realize, you know, someone did that and someone was paying people to do that, seeing how personal information flows, seeing how they secure information. Um, it really is just giving me an insight into how our world works. I, one of my law professors, um, they describe lawyers as like the gears that are inside the machine. Like no one sees what's happening. And I'm really getting to see that firsthand that like, you know, we use these products every day and you don't even think about it, but like, oh, this, they use your personal information in this way, or this is what you consented to, or this is what is happening in the background. These are the laws. You know, the reason that you have this privacy notice or this cookie banner is because this law said that they needed to do that. So just getting that, it changes how you view the world. I think lawyers in general, not just privacy and cyber lawyers, but lawyers in general, you start to gain a different perspective on kind of everything and how you analyze and how you observe the world around you. Right. Yeah, I think we have like very interesting position to see like the societal reactions and also understand how things work on the inside, of course, given the confidentiality uh, that we work with, but still it, it gives an interesting perspective. And given that, I mean, just only within the scope that you can like reflect on this and share publicly, do you feel that the trends that we see in this space are going in a direction that you as a user or citizen would want that to be the direction that things should go hmm. overall? That's a hard question. I think that's a question that <clears throat> probably has been murkier since I became a lawyer because I think it's really easy to take a perspective as a user when you're not in those conversations and seeing like the practicalities of making these things happen. And I think that that's an issue with law all the time. If you talk to like a layperson, they're like, make it simple, make it work, but it, it isn't simple. And there's always a, a balance like with privacy. It's like, do you want it to be usable? Do you want it to be effective? But in what information do you want to get and how do you balance those things out? So I don't actually know. I, it feels like a cop-out answer, but I think that that's something I think about, and it, it is interesting because, you know, I do my work and then I still exist in the world. So like, I'm still a consumer. I use products. Like my personal information is, is used. But, and so I'm like trying to leverage, how do I feel about that as the lawyer versus how do I feel about that? It's just like Dylan, the person who's just like walking down the street and going to the store or buying something online. But I, I think that the, the thing that I definitely think is positive is that it's being discussed publicly and people from different walks of life, people from different stakeholders, from different perspectives are coming together and we're having like more just generally transparent conversations because I do think that there's like a, a societal need to figure out what we want our world to look like in terms of how our data is used, how our data is shared and transparency. So I just think entering the public conversation is the first step for us to have that conversation and figure out how we all feel. So very excited to continue to tune in to what the world what society, what the United States, what other countries, um, how they tune into this conversation and what they have to offer and what their perspectives are. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that it's interesting that you mentioned that you as a user and you as a lawyer may have different feelings about this, but that's also, I think, uh, interesting 
perspective to have because you see it from both sides and definitely agree that it's it's great that there is more discussion about this because unless people know that there is something that they need to pay attention to, I don't feel like the policymakers will be paying more attention to this because it's a two-way street in right. a way. Um, so do you mostly work um, on U.S. legislation and like U.S.-based clients or like also more like based overseas because, you know, data flows cross borders and there are all these types of issues and I wonder if that is something on your radar or you mostly focus on U.S.? Um, my focus is mostly on U.S. It's definitely on my radar. Like we work with teams or we'll work with other firms or we work with companies that are across countries. Um, so it definitely, I think, any practitioner of law in this more global world, in our more digital world, it's important to always keep it on your radar and know what's going on, even if that if that is just enough to say, you know, this is an issue that we need a lawyer from this country to weigh in on. And like, this is the information that seems relevant. This is what we need to convey to them. Um, but I'm the, you know, I'm a U.S. qualified lawyer, part in New York, like my U.S. law is what my practice is focused on. Yeah. And I, and as you mentioned, there are so many things happening in U.S., so I'm sure you have enough on your plate already. Right. I don't need all the countries that are having new laws. Yeah, for now, what you, what you have in U.S. is sufficient. Um, you also mentioned, so you mentioned that there are a lot of things happening in U.S. and abroad. So that means that like one of the skills is to be able to keep tabs on all these developments. But I wonder what other skills you have noticed that will be useful for anyone that wants to have a career in privacy and cybersecurity now or maybe in the near future. Yeah, definitely keeping up on laws. I think keeping up on technology um, I think people think of lawyers and technologists as different and totally we are different. I don't like, don't be like, don't come fix this program. I can't do that for you. But being able, the phrase people like to use is like knowing enough to be dangerous. And I think knowing enough to be dangerous about what's going on in the tech world, because a lot of the laws, like they may not specifically be drafted to deal with a particular issue. So a lot of it is like understanding the technology extrapolating, understanding what's happening there, and then applying it to laws that maybe were 30 years old, but definitely still apply in certain ways. So just understanding the world around you, understanding, like when I work with a company, like digging in and understanding what that company's business is from top to bottom as much as I can to make sure that I'm understanding. And, you know, you want to expect, you want to make sure you're asking intelligent questions because every company is different. Every personal data flows in different ways. I think another skill, it's, I think this is just a general like corporate lawyering skill, but the balance between you're a lawyer and your job is to advise on law and risks and compliance, but also these are businesses that have to operate and there's practical decision-making. I, I remember just like when I was talking to lawyers as a law student, as a professor, I saw that model of like a really stuffy lawyer that is like, this is the law. There's no room for conversation. I did internships where I had to deal with that. And like, totally there's times where it's like, this is it. You can't do this. But being a lawyer who can say like, this is the law. Here are the risks. Here are, we can mitigate the risk. Here's how we can pair up what the law says with what you need for your business. So we can make you as protected from risk as possible, but also allow you to operate. Because sometimes compliance looks different for different companies. There's different risks. There's different 
focus is. So just understanding, like being as much of a lawyer as you are a business advisor and like stepping into your client's shoes and understanding that you're not giving legal advice in a vacuum. Someone has to go and like effectualize and actualize the advice. So like having an understanding of like, okay, we advise you do this. What does that look like? That's a little more than just like I cited, you know, section 2A of this statute and that's what it says. And that's the end. It's like section 2A says this and your business does this. And here's how these things intermingle. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying that lawyers are in a way translators that we need to translate and make it relevant and understandable, uh, whatever the client needs and the needs are different, definitely. And definitely the risk tolerance is also different. So very insightful um, feedback there. I hope the listeners uh, will take note of it. Um, so I like Dylan and I are fellows at the Foundry, but before we go to the Foundry, I want to give uh, Dylan space to share if he's volunteering or in, if you're engaged in any other like professional associations or organizations in addition to the Foundry. Um, I think the Foundry is my main one right now. I like, I'm involved in some like New York Bar Association stuff. Not as like, a, just like as a member and going to events. And one thing I've been meaning to get back on, and this is reminding me, is meetups. When I was in law school in DC, I used to attend really cool meetups. Some were legal, some were just tech. And it was really cool to just meet people and have a space to talk. So that is going back on my list as to do is to get, now that I'm back in New York, to get and see what the meetup community looks like and see what cool people I can be meeting outside of work and outside of the foundry. Yeah, I mean, definitely building networks everywhere is key in any profession. Uh, but going to the foundry, I mean, you have done a lot and one of them was the hackathon, but I want, would love to hear your overall reflections as we are slowly but steadily coming towards the end of our fellowship and just tell us what you do at the foundry and what the experience has been so far. Right. So I'm currently senior fellow and I chair our hackathon committee. I am so sad that we're nearing the end of our experience. I think it's such a cool organization, but also the fact that we're ending the near of our, the end of, during the end of our experience means that listeners, we're going to be soon looking for a new cohort of fellows. So totally something I think anyone should jump on. I think the foundry is so unique among like professional organizations that how much autonomy fellows have and how we're really given the opportunity to take the reins and kind of make it whatever we want and collaborate. We get to collaborate with people across um, sub industries within the tech and law and internet law and policy space and across countries, like working with fellows. There's people that I probably would never get to work with in my everyday work. It's been so interesting getting to just put events together and meet professionals. It's been a really great experience. For the hackathon particularly, um, I find that to be a, a rewarding experience. For me, when I entered the foundry, I was really focused on my professional development, but I think part of being in any community like this is investing in the professional development of others. So I found the hackathon like a really great opportunity to help other fellows network, get their name out there, but also the participants in the hackathon. Like my goal is that everyone who does anything in the hackathon has something that they can walk away with and say, like, I had this really cool experience. So last year's hackathon, we tackled the metaverse. And that was that is and was a big issue. And letting people who, you know, students, people really early in their career, who wouldn't probably not in their work get an opportunity to just like 
tackle this problem, work with people across industries and across borders and think about, so ours was particularly focused on trust and safety issues with the metaverse and think about these things and having a work product. They did one pages, they did video presentations that they can show and show that they have the ability to tackle these issues in an intellectual way. One, I really find the experience enriching just seeing people have that experience, seeing people build their knowledge, seeing people build their community. Also, I find I learn a lot. Like in order to plan something like that, you kind of have to become a mini expert, make sure that people have the right resources, make connections with um, third parties that people can connect, that participants and Foundry Fellows can connect with. So I, I think that that has been a really great experience. And then just I've done some other episodes of the podcast. I love this podcast. I think that we're doing really great things. And I hope that the listeners also agree with me that one, it lets us expose ourselves to these new topic areas, but also lets us expose other people and be a source of news and keeping up on current events. Um, so it's one of I, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. And I hope that all of our listeners feel the same way. Um, but yeah, it's just the fellowship is such a robust experience. And I think you asked if there was anything I was looking forward to for the remainder. Um, I don't know. I think that's the thing. It's like we, because we're such an agile organization and we're self-run, it's kind of like hard to know what the next thing, like I, I would love, I, I'll figure something out. I'm sure that we'll do something cool. I know CyberCon is coming in a few months. So interested in being involved in that, but also just interested in seeing what my fellow fellows come up with and finding ways to help them and help myself build knowledge and network and just professionally develop generally. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the shout out uh, for the podcast for sure. And uh, I just want to say that I really enjoyed uh, collaborating with you last year when we were doing the pre-event for the hackathon. That was super fun. Um, and about the hackathon, like, was there anything that you found surprising or like some surprising reflections from the process of organizing the hackathon or the experience itself that you will want to share? Surprising reflections. Hmm. I mean, one, just like the logistics. I've like participated in hackathons. I'm like an amateur coder, so I've done it from that perspective. But like we do a policy hackathon, which is a different beast, but like how much work it is to plan. But also I think the interest, I think there's such a desire for people to have these conversations and have a platform. And it's clear, it's just like, not everyone gets a platform. When you're really early in your career, I think we have the wonderful social media all around us that gives you something of a platform. But I think the hackathon is a really particular platform where you get to convene with other people who are really interested in these issues and really tackle them and really dig in on what's going on. What, what are the issues? What are the glories of any technology that we choose to cover? And just some of the, the, the things that people came up with or the thought processes that people have. I really love that the hackathon has been an international event because while, like we said before, I try to keep up with international news, there's only so much you can do while also keeping up with your own legal and policy developments in your own country. And so it's so interesting to see how the perspective on technology is informed by different cultures, different legal and policy conversations. So getting to see, you know, participants in Asia, participants in Africa, how they're thinking about these issues differently, how they approach these issues differently. I think that was really intellectually stimulating and fulfilling for me. And it really reminds me that in all these conversations in my work and all the work that I do to keep in mind that we live in a really broader world. And I think a lot of times 
Well, I think one of the things the foundry, the hackathon does well is have an international approach. Um, a lot of these conversations are, can be very U.S. focused. So I was really grateful to have that exposure for myself. Yeah, that was really interesting. I remember doing the episode with the winners of the hackathon and everybody had such interesting ideas. And definitely the ideas were based on their different experiences from around the world. So really happy that we got to do this. And right. yeah, I mean, a lot of things are in the pipeline. So, but talking about resources, um, what resources would you recommend to like early career tech law and policy professionals, something from your arsenal? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, this podcast, I another shameless shout out. I think this is a really great podcast. Um, for me, as like a privacy cyber person, I, the IEPP has a bunch of newsletters that are really helpful. I, I like skim through TechCrunch's newsletter. Um, I try to do every day. I don't know how much I succeed. Um, Fortune has data sheet and there's an, a new, I don't know how new it is, an AI newsletter. I think it's called Ion, Ion AI. And I got to shout out my, my law school when I was out there as a student and now um, the Center for Privacy and Technology and the Institute for Technology, Law and Policy at Georgetown. Um, I think so much of my foundation as a tech internet law and policy person was built at Georgetown, interacting with the great minds, the events, the interesting coursework at those two that were branching out from those two institutions. And I know that they do events, they do symposiums, they put out writing. So I think those are definitely two institutes, institutions to follow. And then I think I said earlier, like bar associations and meetups, um, never underestimate the knowledge and network you can gain from just like going to local events, working with people who do cool things around you that just are there to chat and meet people can be really enriching. Even sometimes going to my own job and meeting new people at my job who I don't work with every day can be really enriching, even if they don't do the work that they, I do. Finding the ways that our different practice areas intersect can be really fascinating. Um, and then I think just is not a research, but just like generally being open to learning that there's, you know, when you're in a new environment, when you're in school, when you're in a new job, if there's an area you're interested in figuring out who does that and just being open to chatting, everyone loves when you say that, you know, what you do is super, I love when I get that email from like a law student they're like, oh, your work seems super interesting. I would love to talk. And I end up in conversation sometimes when I'm probably too busy and probably should say, I don't have time, but I want people to, you know, call me and flatter me and say, but what I do is interesting and they want to learn more about me. So just being open to having conversations with people who are doing cool things because the world is changing and people are doing cool things all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think also one of my favorite questions to ask our fellows is around um, the advice that they got when they were trying to find their footing in this space. So what do you think was a good um and also a bad piece of advice that was given to you? And what would you like give as advice to people that are trying to start out in this space? I mean, I think just doing things that you really find interesting and fascinating. Um, I think the law and policy space can be difficult. <laughs> it can be very intense. It can involve a lot of work. And if I didn't find my work interesting and the subject matter interesting, I think that'd be really hard. Um, so like a lot of that is like, if you're in law school, if you're undergrad, like getting involved in the conversations, figuring out the niche. And I think again, the tech and policy space has so many niches. 
So if there's like one thing that doesn't interest you, there's always a way to pivot and make it into something else, but like really chasing things that are like intellectually fulfilling and that you can imagine, you know, if you have a late night, you're not really upset that not only are you working late, but that you're working late on something boring. I think that that, that seems like a really hard life to live. So chasing your bliss, I guess, is my best advice that I've heard. Worst advice? In law school and in legal environments, I think there's like a, a, a fear of being wrong or asking questions. And I do remember getting some advice from people to like, you know, try not to ask questions, try not to look wrong. And like, you're a lawyer, you don't want to make mistakes, you don't want to do things wrong. But both in your team and I think with clients, there's an appreciation of like, I don't know that, but I am going to know it. Point me to the right direction. If there's a particular resource that you think would be helpful or if there's something that I should review. Like I, I to me, a lawyer who can't say that they don't know and they're going to find out is a stupid lawyer because they'll sit down and they'll like make things up and they'll just be wrong. So the worst advice, and I think it's some like, it's a cultural thing in lawyers that it's like, you're a lawyer. So you need to know everything and no, you don't. And that's not even, that's like misconduct to pretend, you know, everything you need to serve your client. You need to work on your team. Ooh, now I have a second bad advice that you are in competition with your coworkers. I am flowing from bad advice. So bad advice. Number one, what you should actually do is be curious, ask questions admit when you don't know things and then do the work to learn those things. And the second advice is that these, your colleagues or your team, um, I think law school is set up in a particular way that makes it seem like legal practice is a competition and like you can only do well if you're doing better than any, everyone else. But in reality, legal practice is like one of the most collaborative jobs that you can have. And people who enter the field with that perspective that they're competing with each other, they're just, they're, they're doing themselves a disservice because even the most experienced lawyers I know, like you'll see them be like, I'm an expert on this, but this colleague of mine is the expert on this niche in this, and we're going to pull her in and we're going to get her expertise and my expertise, and we're going to have some calls and we're going to put it together and you're going to get the best of both worlds and learning to enter this um, area with that perception that these are your, your teammates, we're in this together and we're working together towards the goal of great client service will make you a hundred times better a lawyer than someone who, you know, doesn't want to share the glory, doesn't want to share the work, doesn't want to loop other people in, wants to be in competition. So be curious and ask questions and be collaborative, I guess, are my two pieces of advice for people who are entering this space. Love both of them, especially the part when you said that like lawyers basically are human and you just cannot know everything and nobody gets anywhere alone. So remembering that I think is worthwhile. So thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really loved hearing your um, perspective and thanks for everything you do at the Foundry and beyond. Um, but to wrap up this um, chat, I just want to know what is next for you? What are you excited about at this stage in your career? Um. What's next for me? I think the exciting thing is that I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm so early in my career and there's so many possibilities. Um, and then there's possibilities being graded. Like this time next year, there's going to be some cool new technology that didn't exist that could open a new door for me that didn't exist today. So, I mean, I think what's next for me is just like being open to new experiences and learning as much as I can. I'm very young. I'm very new in my career. 
been a lawyer for two years. There's so much time. So just trying to absorb all I can, whether it's through my job, whether it's through the foundry, whether it's through other opportunities or other resources, and just position myself so that when something new and exciting that I can't resist comes down the line, that's my optimistic brain thinking that like it's just going to show up for me. Um, I'm ready to take that opportunity on. Once again, so excited for your excitement, <laughs> however that sounds, <laughs> and uh, really looking forward to seeing you explore and conquer new technologies and make your contribution in solving all the thorny legal issues out there. Thanks so much, Dylan, <laughs> and see you around. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts with an S at ilpfoundry.us or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show, and this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode, Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Alison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.